The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey there, and welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, the show where we talk about the Republican Party's attempts to pass some sort of health care legislation that may or may not repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's economics reporter. And I'm Jim Newell, Slate's Capitol Hill reporter. So this week, we're going to talk about the world's most ironic health scare, and we're going to discuss the Republicans' kind of inept attempts to get some of their own governors to sign on to this uh, this this plan of theirs, the Better Care Reconciliation Act, and convince them that it won't actually devastate their uh, state's uh, Medicaid programs. So yeah, let, let's first start off with John McCain, who has uh, now been sidelined because of well, some surgery had to remove like a blood clot from his brain. Jim, what is this? You said it was like a blood monster of some kind? Well, yeah, I think that's actually just to use the clinical diagnosis. There is a, a massive blood monster growing behind his eyeball and they had to take it out. <laughs> I've only spoken to a few doctors and that's the uh, that's what they say. That's That's the official term for it. So McCain's out. He's recovering from surgery to remove the blood monster, which we don't need to get into the nitty gritty details, but it's unclear how long he's going to be sidelined, but they're not voting until he's back, right? Yeah, they can't. I mean, they they already have two no's on the this motion to proceed to even start debate on the bill. They absolutely need John McCain's vote, so they have to wait until he's back. You know, he said that his doctors are having him rest this week, the New York Times talked to some experts who have dealt with these clots before, and they say one week may not be enough, depending on the severity of it. So it, the, the health care bill is delayed as long as it takes John McCain to recover. The gods of irony just waltz down from Mount Olympus, and we're like, we're going to delay this bill that is designed to essentially take care from tens of millions of Americans. And put it on pause by making sure that John McCain has to get very, very expensive surgery that other seniors might not be able to afford if the legislation he would vote for goes through. It's rich. It's funny. It's a little bit funny. You don't want to talk about someone's health scare. It's funny, I suppose, or maybe in this case. The Trump care tracker hopes that John McCain recovers quickly, right? We send our thoughts and prayers. And now we will continue joking. Now back to the comedy hour. Um, does this really make the bill's prospects any worse, though? I feel like this is a timeout. This thing sitting out in the open really going to make a guy like Dean Heller any less likely to vote for it? You know, I, I think it can go both ways. I don't think that they want this exposed for a while. Here's another question. The CBO score of the revised bill is supposed to come out today. Yeah. There was a, an announcement over the weekend that apparently it's not going to be today. They don't know what day it's going to come out yet. So I think it would be pretty bad if you had the CBO score, had it come out today, or if it still comes out earlier in this week and you let that linger for a little while. Um, that's just going to get all the attention. So I think it's going to be difficult. This bill obviously doesn't get better with age. On the other hand, if Mitch McConnell still needs you know to twist some arms, then he now has a little bit more time to do that. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it kind of cut both ways. The prevailing theory does seem to be that this bill is sort of like raw meat, leaving it out in the sun to like be exposed to the elements and the American media and the scrutiny of John Kasich and Brian Sandoval and other angry governors is not going to help it. There was a part of me also just thinks that if you need time to negotiate more side deals, this gives you time to negotiate. But then again, they also only have a limited amount of time until the August recess. And that seems like a hard cutoff for them at this point. Or is it? Could we foresee this thing if they needed the time extending into the fall? 
I mean, they could technically – they could just keep delaying this vote as long as they need to and then do all the other stuff that they were going to do in September or in the last couple of weeks before the August recess now. Right now, they're just going to continue going through all the nominations they have to work through this week. By the end of September, they still have to pass government funding. They still have to raise the debt ceiling. They can't actually pass a new budget, though, until they're done with this health care bill because – they need the new budget to help them do tax reform, and they can't do that until healthcare is finished. They have to pass the defense authorization. I mean, they have a lot of work, so they could just keep working on that now and just keep pushing and pushing healthcare. But I, I, I really would be surprised if this went into the fall. They're pretty much down to their to their last bullet here, trying to work out some of these side deals with these senators who are concerned about Medicaid. If it doesn't work, then I, I really don't know what else they could do. So, Jim, let's talk about these efforts to negotiate with the moderates and uh, their governors of their states who have also played a big role in opposing and, or, you know, uh, slowing down the progress of this bill. Yeah. So the, the National Governors Association met this weekend in Rhode Island. I don't think all 50 governors came, but somewhere in the 30s of them came. And it was a pretty important moment for the administration because they sent... HHS Secretary Tom Price and CMS Director Seema Verma and uh, Mike Pence, they sent him also to try and win over some of these governors who have been urging their senators not to vote for this bill, chiefly Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval, who sort of gives orders to Dean Heller and Dean Heller does whatever he wants because Sandoval is much more popular than Heller, who's up for reelection. John Kasich, Governor of Ohio, I don't think he has Rob Portman as his lapdog quite as much, but I think that his vocal opposition to this bill has affected Portman, who's usually a pretty good team player and is still opposed to the bill. Yeah. Speaking of John McCain, I don't think that John McCain will actually vote against any bill, but he is raising more trouble than they expected. He's saying he wants a few of his amendments brought to a vote. And part of that is because Doug Ducey, who's the governor of Arizona, has really been concerned about this bill. He says that it needs a lot of work and he's not happy with the way it's been going. It was important for them to try and meet with these governors to get them a little bit more on board. And it didn't turn out so well. Yeah. It seemed like by the end of it, the governors were more skeptical than when they went in. That's sort of an accomplishment. There were some pretty big goofs there. So Mike Pence, during his speech, though John Kasich wasn't at this event, he said, I know Governor Kasich isn't with us, but I suspect that he's very troubled to know that in Ohio alone, nearly 60,000 disabled citizens are stuck on waiting lists, leaving them without the care they need for months or even years. This boggles my mind. This just completely boggles my mind on so many levels. You're dealing with a governor who is angry about this bill, has positioned himself as a defender of the Medicaid expansion, and you are trying to somehow win him over, to cajole him into supporting this thing. And essentially, rather than offer some sort of side deal, do some sweet talking, whatever, you go on the offensive and essentially tell an audience that he's been selling out 60,000 uh, disabled Ohioans. Like, it's just, it, it's beyond me what the political strategy there is. And moreover, it's just a bad talking point. It's not really true. There's no evidence whatsoever that expanding Medicaid had any negative effect on disabled people on waiting lists for certain services. It's just people have gone through this over and over again. It's a bunk 
talking point, and Kasich has gone through this thing over and over again and has been on the rounds of it. Furthermore, you have the administration trying to get up and say, and this was the bigger point he was making, the administration is pretending that this these changes to Medicare, cutting $800 billion for it, is somehow going to, quote, refocus it on the disabled, which, right. of course, a few episodes ago, we just talked to Harold Pollack about all the ways in which that is not true. So it's just like, what speechwriter put this in there? Who thought this was a brilliant fucking move that was going to win over John Kasich? Did you think you were going to like, aha, John Kasich or something? That would anger all the other governors, too. I think that that really turned the room against Pence a little bit when they saw him trying to just use this opportunity to push something that they all have real concerns about. When you look at this problem they're having to get governors overall on board, it's a math problem that they can't really spin their way out of. This bill takes out $772 billion worth of Medicaid. Those are costs that are going to be shifted to the states. And, you know, they're pitched to some of these governors, uh, Tom Price and Seema Verma. They're saying, well, we'll have this $182 billion stability fund. Then we'll have some of that, that tax credit money between zero and 100% of the federal poverty line, which you could use a waiver for, and you could sort of use that money also. And you could combine all this money to help these poor people who were in Medicaid get private insurance. But that's still only about $200 billion or so. $200 billion is not as much as $772 billion. No, it is not. (laughs) Then they'll say, well, you can just be a little more efficient. And governors do not like being told, oh, I can just be a little bit more efficient. So, you know, they're cutting all this money. They're not putting as much back in. Governors are obviously going to be upset about that. This seems to be the administration's pitch that you will have opportunities to innovate, right? We're going to cut money, but it's going to be fine because you guys are going to come up with innovations to make this program more efficient. And we're going to give you the freedom to do that. But these governors know how hard it is to save money on Medicaid. They're not rubes. They're responsible for running this program already, and they know how lean it runs. They know how little it pays doctors. They know how limited the services already have to be in some respects, how many things they can't do through Medicaid. And now they're being told, oh, yeah, you'll come up with more innovations. I'm sure there are all sorts of things you want to do that you haven't before. You're talking to a sophisticated audience. I don't understand why they think that line is going to work. It's almost like they're trying to bring a kind of maybe a a campaign talking point or something to a room full of some of the most experienced people on this issue. And it's just, it's beyond me. I mean, one of the more amazing things that happened at this meeting, apparently, was that immediately before Mike Pence spoke, Avalier, the the healthcare research and consulting firm, did a presentation where they found pretty much similar numbers as the CBO that this bill would cut Medicaid funding by, what, 35% or so by 2036. So you have that, and then you have Mike Pence coming up. So these governors are basically being asked to believe the administration, these officials who are telling them, and Tom Price did it again on on the Sunday shows yesterday. He said, I promise that no one will lose health care under this bill. No one will lose health coverage under this bill, or they're being asked to trust independent analysts. So I don't really know how to overcome that. Yeah. And there there was like an interesting dynamic with the Republican governors who are sort of party, more party loyalists, some of the governors who didn't decide to expand Medicaid apparently still left the meeting and told reporters afterwards, you know, I still have some questions about the numbers. Even they, even the guys from like Wyoming were were sitting around saying, this doesn't all make sense. And if you can't get the governor of Wyoming to come out and say, you know, everything's groovy, (laughs) you're a Republican, you've really failed on your sales job. Yeah, I agree. And yet for all that Are there any side deals at this point on the horizon that you think actually could seal this? Is there anything that we've seen so far that might, for instance, convince Brian Sandoval and Dean Heller in Nevada that, yes, it is worth voting for this? Have we we seen anything concrete? 
You know, I don't know if we've seen anything concrete. Sandoval, his position hasn't changed after this pretty uh, high stakes meeting this weekend. It's sort of like a known unknown because I know there's a lot of uh, pressure out there on Sandoval and on these governors and on the, the senators, you know, who speak for them to get on board. The Trump administration is like resting all of their hopes on this. McConnell is resting all of his hopes on this. So when there's that will to get it done, you know, maybe they can they can figure something out. But I don't think that deal's on the table yet. All right. So on that note, I think we've come to our final segment. Is this shit really happening? Where Jim and I will each say whether or not we think Trump care is going to be passed into law and what we'd be willing to bet on that outcome. Jim, you go first. I am very close, but I am going to narrowly bet that it passes still just because no one has come out to kill it yet. So there's still the will to get there. And I'm going to be uh, super lame and bet this empty bottle of seltzer in Wait, front of me. Really? Empty bottle? Ugh, whatever. Okay, fine. Jim is does not have the courage of his convictions. Um, yeah. All right. I am also... No, you know what? No, I'm I'm still going to bet no. I'm still edging no on this. I don't think it's going to be passed into law as of now. I think the CBO score will come out and that might be what finally does it in. And what am I willing to bet on that outcome? Um, dinner. I would bet dinner. I would make I would make a lovely like leg of lamb or something. I will make someone dinner too, uh, made entirely out of used seltzer bottles. Just melted plastic. I will make that dinner for someone. And with that, I think we are going to bring this episode of the Trump Care Tracker to a close. Our uh, producer on the show is the lovely and incredibly tolerant June Thomas, who makes us sound far more intelligent than we truly are. If you like the show, please leave a review for us in the iTunes store. It helps other people find us. And uh, if you have questions, comments, thoughts, opinions, email us at trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Again, trumpcaretracker at slate.com. I'm Jordan Weissman. And Jim, it's been fun chatting with you. Yeah, good talking to you, Jordan. <laughs>